Hey, fellow warriors. Welcome to the Azar Mindset Podcast with your host, Altamese Nicole. She's an award-winning founder to the Azar Agency, a philanthropist, mother, daughter, and friend. Here with the Azar Mindset Podcast, we cultivate a safe space and community to be inspired by women worldwide that strive to be the best version of themselves boldly, softly, and unapologetically. And Azar is a warrior created to help. So let's begin to help one another in family, fun, faith, life, and love. Hello, hello, and thank you again for joining me for with the Azar Mindset Podcast. I am your host, Altamese Nicole, and I am so excited to introduce you to our guest for today. Uh, she and I have been friends for many, many years, um, has actually known one another since we were like, I say kids, but we weren't really kids, y'all. We were like in our early 20s, but you know, when you're in your early 20s, what do you know, for real, for real? <laughs> um, so I am so excited to just introduce you to the lovely and beautiful Naima Ford Goldson. She is a certified professional organizer and the owner of Restore Order Professional Organizing. Um, she has founded a national association for Black professional organizers, which is a nonprofit that seeks to empower her BIPOC colleagues. And she's just all around amazing. She's a wife, a mother, an entrepreneur, doing all of the things and making her dreams come true while helping others stay organized in the process. So welcome. Welcome, Naima. Thank you so much. Hi, Altamese. Thank you for having me. Such kind words. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So tell me a little bit about your journey. Because again, you know, we have known each other since we were like early 20s. And at that yeah. time, we were neither of us were married. Neither no. of us had kids. <laughs> like it was a totally different scenario. So like, tell me about your journey into into marriage. Right. Oh my God. It's so, it's so funny because we work together at Radio Disney doing promotions. Yep. <laughs> so, so we worked with kids, we worked setting up equipment, giving away promotional items and things of that nature. Um, and while I was working at Radio Disney, I was also working at CNN. I started in the CNN tour department and then I moved on to CNN radio eventually, but I realized quickly, like after a year that that wasn't for me. Mm. Um, but while I was at CNN, that's when I met my husband. So he also worked in the CNN tour department and it was like pretty much a bunch of people fresh out of college that yeah. worked in that department. And, you know, people went, went to, you know, various parts of CNN or left the company altogether or what have you. Um, when I moved on to radio, he went to sports. He was in sports for a while. But while we were in the tour department, that's when we started kind of dating. I didn't really like him at first because, <laughs> you know, I feel like, you know, a lot of the girls that I worked with thought he was cute. And I'm like, he's all right. Okay. I mean, <laughs> he's not all that, right. you know. Um, and, then, and then he started expressing interest in me. And then I was like, does he have a crush on me? Like, what's really going on? Like, I don't like him like that. What's going on? But then I feel like we ended up in, you know, a lot of like situations together. So yeah. 
you know, even though Atlanta is has a lot of black folks, the tour department did not, you know, really? like compared to the amount of uh, white people that they had in there, it was probably a handful of us black folks, right? Yeah. So whenever we went out with our colleagues, it seemed to be he and I, the only black people there. <laughs> and you know, it's like, it's just a level of comfort yep. you have with your people. Hang right? together. So, right. So that's how he got me. <laughs> it was just like, you know, hang, hanging with him. I'm like, okay, he's kind of cool. Okay, maybe. But yeah, so we um, started, that was like in, oh my God, that was in 2006 when we started dating. Yeah. And um, and then we got married in 2010 and we've been married ever since. I so. still remember your wedding pictures, by the way. I yeah. loved <laughs> your wedding pictures. And I remember we had like a, like a pretty orange incorporated. Yeah. Like it was just, oh, yeah. I remember. Orange. Yes, yeah. yes. I, I still remember. I still remember. And, you know, it's amazing because I ended up working at CNN. So we worked together at Radio Disney and then I got into CNN and I left Radio Disney. And then when I got into CNN, I like, I ended up running into your now husband and he's like, oh yeah, I, that's my girlfriend. And I'm like, what like it's such a small world in terms of like connections and things so like okay so let's fast forward okay and now you're married and Mm -hmm. you begin to have kids like how in the world how how did you like how was that journey into motherhood and was it an easy transition for you no (laughs) oh my god It was rough. It was rough from like the pregnancies, my first pregnancy. Oh my God. It was just, it was, it was hard. I think one of the hardest things was, you know, being in Atlanta away from my family Mm. because the majority of my family is in Nebraska. My mom is in Nebraska. The majority of my siblings are in Nebraska. So, you know, that part of it was tough. Um, growing up, so I have a younger brother and sister. They are like um, nine and 10 years, like nine and a half and 10 and a half years younger than me. Mm-hmm. And I helped to raise them, but nothing prepared me for actually being pregnant. You know, mm-hmm. my mom had eight kids. She made it look easy. Right, you know? right. Like I didn't realize the extent of things that could happen when you're pregnant. Now I did see it with my, my oldest sister had issues with like throwing up all the time when she had her second daughter and she was like really really skinny so when her daughter was born full term she was like five pounds oh. you know so my sister had issues so I saw those issues right um but the things that I experienced no one else in my family experienced so it was and I don't know I feel like maybe my body went into shock because my son he is a big boy like tall yeah um and and I was very tiny then like I was so small and you know you might be on to something because I feel like our bodies as the baby is growing and developing it's like certain parts of our bodies are like wait what what are, what are we doing even though it's designed yeah. it's literally designed for it but like our frame our size our, our shape yeah. like you know it all mm-hmm impacts like just that transition into the transformation of being prepared for birth and all of that and it's just yeah. so you might be on to something like for your body to <laughs> just go in shock and be like what girl <laughs> yes because everything was going haywire like what happened so I pulled when I was 
20 weeks pregnant, I pulled a muscle in my stomach. So I had to, it was hard for me to like stand up, sit down. It was hard to lay down. So I had to wear like a support belt. And this was just that 20 weeks. Right. You know? right. So like, I wasn't even that big, but I pulled a muscle. I got some kind of rash all over my arms and legs that lasted for like a good two weeks. Wow. Um, I ended up getting preeclampsia. So I had to go on bed rest. I think with a, maybe like a month left in my pregnancy, I had to go on a modified bed rest. So I had to stop working and it was just a hot mess. Um, and then the birth was a hot mess as well. It took like 27 hours of labor. Um, I had to be induced because my blood pressure went high. So like with preeclampsia, if people don't know what that is, it's like you have pro- you're spilling protein in your urine. You might have high blood pressure, mm. um, headaches, and it can be dangerous. Mm. Um, it can turn into like toxemia, yeah. and that can kill you. That can kill the baby. So just a lot of things. Um, but during during labor, um, I had to since I was being induced, they were giving me pitocin, but my son did not react well to the pitocin. So every time he got it, his heart rate would drop. Mm. So there was that. So they had to give it to me slowly, hence the 27 hours of labor. And then by the time it came to actually deliver him, all of a sudden I had like a whole bunch of nurses. I think I pushed for maybe like almost two hours. I had a whole bunch of nurses come in the room and start yelling at me to push. And I'm like, why are these women yelling at me? Like, what's going on? They're like, push, push. And I'm like, oh my God. And then he came out. Um, and I learned later that his heart rate, his heart rate was dangerously low. Oh. So they were trying to hurry up and get him out before something happened to him. And I'm like, okay, they could have led with that. Right. <laughs> right, right. Rather than just like running in like push, push. Like, right. oh my yeah, gosh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it was just a lot. So, so like the whole like pregnancy, I wish I was someone who enjoyed pregnancy, but I didn't. It was hard on me. It was rough. I had postpartum depression after, you know, I cried. My mom was there for the delivery, but she left because she came, I think she came like maybe, I think she was there for like a two or three weeks and it took me forever to like, you know, to go into labor. But like I said, I had to be induced. And then, so by the time I had my oldest son, Ethan, who's 11 now, um, but by the time I had him, um, I was, um, it, she only had a week left. Yeah. So when she left, I cried every single day for a week straight, you know, yeah. it was just, it was tough. It was tough. And I didn't, I don't think anyone prepared me for that part of it either because yeah. I didn't see anyone experience that or yeah. they weren't vocal yeah. about experiencing that. But, um, 11 years later, my son, he's going to go to middle school soon, you know, and he's thriving and he's a very smart boy and he's still super tall he <laughs> is almost taller than me at the age of 11 he's like an inch shorter than me yeah. so um so yeah and then with the second child I almost didn't want to have another one because of how hard it was yeah. but I grew up with a lot of siblings so I wanted I didn't want Ethan to be an only child and I had Gavin um Gavin's pregnancy was easier still rough but easier his delivery was way easy like I pushed for like I think the, the doctor said I pushed, I did one and a half pushes and he came out, you know, yeah. so it was easy. I went into labor on my own. Um, I had some issues, but it wasn't full blown preeclampsia. So it wasn't, it wasn't bad. It wasn't like as high risk as Ethan's was. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, I mean, that was fine. But then Gavin later on, you know, started having some developmental challenges. So mm. 
he was diagnosed with autism when he was um, about to turn five years old. Mm. So that's, you know, kind of the issue that, you know, we've dealt with for a while. And, um, you know, and our lifestyle is just different. It's nothing, nothing really could have prepared me for that because right. again, right. none of my siblings have kids on the spectrum, yeah. you know, so yeah. I wasn't prepared for that. And I have so many nieces and nephews that, you know, before I had children, I have a lot of nieces and nephews. So it's like, I don't know. It's like, I guess I am a trailblazer in certain things that you don't want to be a trailblazer in, but it's like, you have no choice. Yeah. Yeah. And how did like, first, how did you all identify that, you know, Hey, we may need to get him checked out. Like what signs were there for you in just, you know, getting, getting that knowledge that he was on the spectrum? Yeah. So my son is nonverbal. So, well, what they call nonverbal. So he, he early on, like around age two, he would say some words here and there, you know, Mm. but it was always few and far between, you know, so Mm. he would say mommy, he doesn't really say mommy anymore. He'll sign it you know, now, but he doesn't really say it much anymore. Or if I'm like gone for a few days, he might, you know, say it. Um, I remember there was one time because it was, it was so like, you know, he, he would say something, but then not talk for a long time Mm. and say something, but not talk for a long time. So I remember him saying, referring to his brother, Ethan as Eton. I remember him saying that when he was like two or three. And then I remember one time he, um, I gave him like his sippy cup and he grabbed it and said, thank you and ran away. But he was never like consistent with using his words. So we took him to the doctor and he was diagnosed with a speech delay. Okay. So then from uh, being diagnosed with a speech delay. So first the doctor diagnosed him with speech delay. We have to go and do speech classes or whatever like that. Um, We put him in a special needs preschool because you know they say early intervention blah 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 you know it's helpful whatever um and then when we went to like the next checkup and he still wasn't talking they're like okay so we'll diagnose him with developmental delay Mm -hmm. so he's now diagnosed with delay developmental developmental or global developmental delay or whatever um because i mean he hit all his milestones the only thing was the talking right right. he started walking at 10 months old all of that was everything was normal Mm -hmm. and um And then after that, like, you know, with, I guess they want you to do the speech first. They want you to do the OT first before they, you know, give you an autism diagnosis. So then eventually, you know, he still wasn't, you know, talking consistently, I should say. And so um, then he was diagnosed with autism, but then more signs started coming. So he would um, cover his ears, you know, a lot. So any loud noise, he's covering his ears. He's kind of like ducking down, maybe covering his face, any super bright lights. So for him, it's mostly like sensory type stuff. So mm-hmm. he has the um, the wiggles all the time. He's so giggly. He's always jumping and happy and all that stuff. But that's like, you know, sensory stuff. So we have to make sure that we have like sensory things in our house. Like we have a big trampoline outside. We have a crash pad for him. We have swings. Um, So there are just like so many things. We have weighted blankets, so many things that we have around Mm -hmm. that, you know, help us with it. Mm -hmm. But, um, but yeah, no, I mean, overall, he's like a normal kid. He just doesn't talk. I mean, he loves the ladies. Let (laughs) me tell you, like if he met you, (laughs) 
He'd be smiling. He'd probably be touching your hair. Trying to get him out of that because he's eight years old now, right? But he loves women. He don't care for men. Right. He loves women. And he's a little lady. And he has such a cute smile. He is. And he has a cute smile. So the women are always like, oh, Gavin, you're so cute. And he eats it up, you know? That is awesome. And I'm, I'm really. I really admire like your attention to detail when it came to his development and his growth as a child, you know, and it's really important to just yeah. study your kids, you know, figure out, you know, right. who they are, right? It's so easy as moms to just assume that we kind of got our, you know, the, we're on the pulse of everything and we got all these other moving pieces. And when our right. child is kind of like looking for our help for something, we're like, you can do this yourself, or I got I got this to do, or I got that to do, but it's really important to just study them, see what they like, what they don't like, and really kind of right. help them lean into those things while, you know, staying on alert for those things that could potentially be something that you may need to keep in mind for the future, you know? How did that, right. how did all of that impact, like, your marriage and you know, just the evolution of your marriage in, in that way. Yeah. Um, it's, it's definitely tough. Like mm-hmm. having a special needs kid. So having kids is tough, yeah. right? Yep. If you have a special needs child, add like times that by 10 to the 23rd power, because it literally is so hard because <clears throat> there are so many things that you have to do. Like there are so many different appointments that I have to take Gavin to, mm-hmm. you know, he has ABA therapy, speech therapy, occupational therapy. He has so many things. So he's not able to, you know, do like the fun stuff, the fun yeah. activities that other kids get to do because he's in therapy all the time, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's like, you know, me and my husband having to, I mean, it mostly falls on me, but, you know, there are times where he, you know, might have in the beginning taken him, you know, to his therapy or picked him up or sat there with him through the therapy, excuse me. So the therapy that we have him in right now, ABA therapy is applied behavioral analysis. Um, A lot of kids who are diagnosed with autism, attend ABA therapy. Um, The program that we have is really good and it's an all day kind of thing. Mm. So we have a little bit more flexibility now, but because, you know, like I said, it's all day. But when he was younger and having to take him to speech, you know, an hour here, an hour there, sitting there, you know, waiting with him and everything. um, In my, my, girl, I'm sorry. It's okay. In my area... (laughs) In my area there, um, we don't have like a children's uh, hospital close by. It's about 20, 30 minutes away. And then depending on Atlanta traffic, it could be 45 minutes, right? So it's like taking the time to go there and, you know, have his appointments. They want you to meet several times a week. So, I mean, it's just tough. But then there's also like kind of like the little things that happen. So I got to tell you this story that happened last weekend. It was terrifying so my son likes to um he likes to be independent he likes to go off and do things on his own like he'll he'll go upstairs and just chill like he's fine he doesn't need people around him all the time well my husband was installing um new uh cameras around the house and um he installed one in the front and had the front door open Mm. and unlocked 
and then he was installing some in the backyard and and gavin and ethan gavin's my younger one so gavin was out there with him playing and ethan came in and um had like a splinter i had to help him get the splinter out and give him a band-aid and you know all this and that and so um and then ethan he likes to garden so he was like okay i'm gonna go and get some stuff out the garage so he kept running in and out so gavin came in and I didn't realize it. I didn't realize he came in. So Eric came in the house and was like, hey, did Gavin go upstairs? And I'm like, what do you mean did he go upstairs? I didn't see Gavin in here. He was like, yeah, he just came in. And I was like, oh, I thought that was Ethan. All right, let me check. I'm checking all around the house. Oh, I could not find him. Like I looked everywhere. And he's the type of kid where he likes dark places. So he might go hide in a closet. He'll throw a blanket over his head. He likes to climb in the dryer. We have to keep the oh laundry room gosh. door locked. He's that kind of kid, yeah. right? And he thinks it's funny. So he'll go and he'll hide and he'll laugh. So I'm like calling like all around the house, like Gavin, you know, but if he's there, he'll laugh, yeah, yeah. you know, because he thinks it's funny, right? So then I have an au pair right now. And, um, and she was like, well, I heard Gavin laugh. I think he's upstairs. And I'm like, I don't know. So I go, I look out the door. I don't see him around anywhere. And then I'm like, okay, let me look at the cameras. I try to look at the new cameras. The new cameras weren't completely set up. So I'm like frantic trying to look at the cameras. Like, oh my God, what happened? What happened? Luckily, we have a ring doorbell as well, right? Yeah. So I looked at the ring doorbell and I see that he went to the door and kind of like contemplated going out. And then he ran out the door and laughed and bolted. And I'm like, oh my God. So we're like frantic looking around the neighborhood. Girl, I had to call the police. I was like, help me find my son. Where is he? So uh, we have a park across the street from our house. Well, not across the street from our house, across the street from our neighborhood. Okay. In our house, we have a really big yard. It backs up to um, the, the house that's right on the entryway. But there's also a main road there. Mm. Now, this road is pretty busy. Mm. But anyway, he managed to cross the street and go into the park. So my husband, he was like, all right, I'm going to get in the car and I'm going to go look for him. And I was like up kind of at the front. I was going to walk to the park. But then I saw my husband drive and I was like, I just pointed to the park to him. Right. He goes there. Gavin's in the park playing. What? Playing in the park. Oh, my gosh. I was so, he was missing for like 20 minutes, you know, I can kind of laugh at it now, you know, like just the thought, like the nerve of this kid, how's he going to just leave by himself and go go to to the park park across the street? But I can only imagine the nerves, the emotion in that moment, like. It was scary because I'm like, oh my God, like, where is he? If someone asks him who he is, he's not going to tell them because. First of all, he doesn't like people he doesn't know, right. you know? So if someone would come up to him, he'd probably just cover his face and like duck down or or whatever. But I'm like, oh my God, he could have gotten kidnapped, yes. this and that. I'm not, I'm not really worried about him getting kidnapped because my son fights back. Like if he doesn't <laughs> like you, he's he'll not, start swinging. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's like he's not going to let you touch him. He's, he's just not, he's not that kid, you know? So, uh, but I was mostly worried about, you know, him possibly getting like hit by a car yeah. or something like that. Now that uh-huh. terrified me, but from like, it, so he was gone for like a total of like 20, 20 minutes, you know, cause I'm looking, oh. I think I spent like 10 oh minutes my gosh. looking for him. Oh my gosh. You know, and then I started walking up and down the street looking for him. Like, did he go into a neighbor's house? Like, where'd he go? Um, but you know, things like that are really scary. It just, it shows mm-hmm. like, you know, for 
what you know the diagnosis that gavin has in the type because you know no two kids on the spectrum are the same right. you know um it's just like keeping him safe is tough mm. like it is hard and we never leave our front door open or unlocked either mm. you know and it just so happens that it was open it was unlocked the our alarms uh our alarm sensor on that door is gone because um you know we had a remodel yeah. last year and the and the workers broke it and we hadn't replaced it yet so it's like it was just like a lot of little things that contributed to that mm. Add in tired parents right. who, you know, might not notice a little kid come in oh and, and slip by you, you know? So it's like things like that make it like really, really tough. But then it also helps us to be, you know, hyper vigilant, I think. Yeah. So it's like, okay, that happened once. That's not happening again. Like we are not gonna let that happen again. Yes. So but yeah, no, it's tough. Like there's a there's like a lot of things, you know, a lot of like small little things that make it even harder but you know it just is what it is it's like we just roll with the punch and we've literally just talked about the motherhood part like we have not yeah. discussed the fact that you are literally running a business you started a whole <laughs> organization ma'am <laughs> an entire organization like and managing that like how in the world like how do you how are you managing it all how are you how are you doing it all Girl, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the the truest response ever. <laughs> like, I don't know. I have so many things going on all the time. Um, I started my business in 2013 and I started it um, after I had my oldest son, Ethan, because I had trouble getting back into the media industry. Because, you mm. know, the media industry is not easy. It's like, once you get in, you need to stay there until you get to where you want, you know? But I was working at Cox Communications at that time, and it was a very toxic environment. So it was very easy for me to say, nope, I'm just going to stay with my baby for a year, and then I'll get back in. I didn't realize how difficult it was going to be yeah. know, to get back in there. Yeah. Like, it was tough. I didn't want to go back to, you know, the place I was working because the supervisor was very toxic. Yeah. It was a, just a very toxic environment. Remember, there was one time where I worked 18 hours straight, wow. you know, like it was just a very, yeah, it was, it was a rough environment. So I was like, I'm not going back to that. Not as a mother. I'm not working this night shift. I'm not doing any of that. Um, so I applied for a few jobs. I applied for a few jobs at, you know, at Turner and I got very far, like top five on one, top three on another, didn't get either of those jobs. So I'm like, okay, what's going on? What can I do? And so mm we'd hired a professional organizer for my mom like a few like months prior to help her get it together. And my oldest sister was like, Naima, you can just start an organizing business because all this woman did was this, this, and this, and you organize mom way better when you come, mm -hmm. you know? So I was like, oh, maybe, maybe I can. So I started looking into it a little bit more and I was like, all right, I'm just gonna do it. You know, mm -hmm. I found a mentor, she was great. Um, she was a black woman who looked like me, like a black woman with freckles. She looked just like yes. me, you know, uh, we looked like we were from the same tribe and I'm like, okay, this is a sign. She let me, um, come and shadow her on jobs. She let me help her out on jobs. And then she was like, so when are you going to start your organizing business? And I was like, I don't know. I think I need to save up this amount of money. And she was like, no, you don't. She was like, you, there are very little startup costs. You don't need to save this amount of money. Just do it. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, oh, I don't know. 
So then mm. I looked into it and I'm like, okay, she's right. Let me just do it. I took some of her advice on how she got, you know, clients. Like she did Groupon um, to build up a clientele. I did that as well. That helped me, you know, back in those days, yep. that helped me, you know, to build up a clientele. And so, um, yeah. So then I just, I started the business and I've had it for like this year, made 10 years Yay. for my business. So it's crazy. Congratulations. Right? It's so crazy. And like, how, how has it been in the organizing industry as a black woman? Because I'm sure, you know, um, that plays a part into why you started your organization in the first place. But like, share with us, like how that process has been for you. Yeah. So it's, it's tough because our industry was and still is white woman dominated, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, middle-aged white woman dominated. So um, I'd say when I came in, you know, the majority of organizers were probably in their like, you know, 40s and 50s. So there weren't a lot of younger organizers when I started, you know, I was, um, I don't know, I think I was 30 yeah. when I started it. Yeah. So, um, you know, it was, it was tough navigating that because there were times where I reached out to other organizers to ask information um, and the only one that responded was the black woman or the only one that gave me information was the black woman who became my mentor mm. for a, a short time. And the other women were like, oh, just, just join NAPO. Or they'd be like, oh no, I don't, I don't hire people to help me or blah, blah, blah. Mm. You know, and I'm like, I'm not asking you to pay me. I'm asking if I can shadow you so I can see, yeah. you know? Um, so that was tough. So it was just, you know, it, it made you feel like, you know, you're in this industry, but it made you feel like you're a guest in the industry, right. like you don't belong. You're just a mm. guest, you know? Mm. And so because of that, that is why I started NAPO. I started NAPO, um, well, let me backtrack. I started a group on Facebook first. Mm. So I was in some, you know, organizing Facebook groups started to surface in like maybe around like 2014 or 2015 or, you know, around there. And I started joining the groups. I'm like, oh, this is great. Other organizers, this isn't that. Again, white women dominated. So mostly white women in these groups. And I noticed when I would ask questions, it would be met with like a snarky response or just go ignored. And then I started looking, you know, I, so then I kind of stepped back and I was like, okay, I'll just be a lurker. I'll just see if they have answers to the things that I need, you know, or that for the questions that I have. Right. And so I started to notice other black women were asking questions as well. And the same thing was happening. And I'm like, what? Like, seriously? So what I did, I was like, all right, I'm just going to create a Facebook group for black female professional organizers because it's a female dominated industry we barely have any men i think we have two men in our organization um but um but so i started that and then i started recruiting people from that facebook group so they're like one of my friends um who she and i we have a conference that we're going to in vegas and she's coming as well but I think she's the first one that I invited to the Facebook group because I saw like her ask a question and then the same thing that happened to her happened to me. So I answered her question and then I said, and hey girl, I started this Facebook group. Do you want to come join? It's for black women. You know, I messaged her on the yes. side. I said something like, 
I answered her her question and then I said, hey, I sent you a DM or whatever. I messaged you, whatever. And uh, and I told her, girl, come join this because these women don't care about us. And like, <laughs> like I'm having the same experience. Girl, okay. So can we just say in this very moment, right? We are all, we're all in this journey together. We're all trying to make yeah. things happen together, right? Mm-hmm. And the most disheartening part of the process is is being made to feel as if you don't belong because yeah. of the color of your skin or because of some social economic difference or whatever the unconscious bias in your mind in your head that is then placed on somebody else that is the most disheartening reality that we have to yeah. face and Mm-hmm. To everybody listening, I just need you to like gut check yourself. Ask yourself if you have ever done that to anyone else. Period. Period. Because it's such a that is that is indeed the story of most black women entrepreneurs. Like, yeah. you know, I started my company because I was like, you know, I got laid off from corporate and my ex-husband said the best advice ever. He was like, instead of being act like instead of asking for a seat at a table that wasn't even created for you in the first place, focus on building your own. And that right. was like the best advice. But the fact that he even saw <laughs> that I would have to ask, hey, can I sit here? Can I sit with you? Mm. And it wasn't yeah. even created for me. So even if I sat right. there, I didn't belong. I didn't feel yeah accepted you know what I mean and I just have to call that out because as women as warriors as Azars we are supposed to help each other that's the tightest woman and it doesn't matter what she looks like doesn't matter where she comes from doesn't matter you know what I mean If, if we are to help one another we are to help one another period it should never feel like And know that there are over, I want to say at this point, 7 billion people on this earth. Like, there's enough for everybody. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to like, it's not a competition. competition. You do not have to hoard or hide or conceal the, the wisdom that you have or the things that you have learned out of fear that someone else is going to take it from you. Girl, it's enough for everybody. Like, don't even, you know what I'm saying? Like, you can literally right. have all the abundance that you need to be very successful in your life and creating a legacy for your family. And there still be someone in your circle doing the exact same thing. And she's winning too. And she's living and she's successful right. and she's abundant. I just had to break that down because, like, it frustrates me because that is truly, that's the story for a lot of Black women. We have, like, I myself included, I've experienced that myself, where all of a sudden, because I'm a Black woman, you're Mm -hmm. threatened, you're feeling something that is then you're in position to either help, ally, or not. Mm -hmm. And you choose not to. And it's just like, hey, we got to stop this. Like, gut check yourself. Because, you know, it's not... It's not right. It's not right at all. Mm -hmm. And we all deserve equity. We deserve access. 
We deserve to feel like we belong. And we deserve to be able to just be in a sense of community without feeling pushed out merely because we're different. I agree completely. I agree. It's tough. It's like, <clears throat> and it's, it's funny because it's like, you have to be strong to survive yes. that, you know, because it's like, if you're constantly getting pushback and the lack of support, they say, so the top um, issues that black women face when it comes to business is lack of capital, yep. you know, um, you know, lack of support. Yep. And burnout, like we're getting burned out because of all these things that we have to deal with. Because on top of being a woman, which is hard enough, yep. right? Then you have like all these other factors that, oh, by the way, I'm black too. So I know that I'm going to have an uphill battle, you know, whereas you can, you can see it like on Instagram, you know, new white organizers get on Instagram all the time, right? And, and they like build up a following like that. Mm. Black organizers, it's a struggle. Mm -hmm. It's a struggle to have our own people follow us. You mm -hmm. know, it's like, it's a struggle. It's like, come on. And that is so know? crazy. Like, I just saw a post on Facebook and it was about, you know, it was like a poll and asking um, women, entrepreneurs and mompreneurs, um, you know, when's the best time to have a webinar, to host a webinar? Like, what would be the best time? And, you know, of course, in a question like that, you're going to get answers all across the board because it's dependent upon that person's availability. But one thing that I saw that was consistent, that every woman, like the majority, people were saying, oh, after eight, after eight, nine, after eight, after eight. And I'm thinking to myself, right, I'm in this season where I think God is like sitting me down to teach me um, the the beauty of rest, number one, and then the, the beauty of knowing that you're covered by him. So you're not, I don't have to work mm -hmm. as hard. Yes, I do have to put in my effort. I have to do the work, but it, it, the outcome is not because of me. The outcome is just because I made mm -hmm. that step. So I'm learning that mm -hmm. in this very moment. And I thought to myself, like, man, if you've been up, you made breakfast for your kids, you put them, you've made them lunch, you work. So you went to work. Yeah. You probably had to do some errands in between then. Ain't nobody saying nothing about a husband or a spouse or a significant other just yet. You still have to eat yourself in terms of lunch, breakfast, whatever. You got to cook. You got to make, make sure the food, even if you're not cooking, okay, you got to go get the food. You got to figure out, you know, make sure everybody has what they need. There's homework. You got to make sure the homework is done. You got to make sure this is done. Oh, you got to get ready for the next day. You got to prepare for the next day. So you got to put the clothes out. You got to make sure everybody did what they needed to do. Eight o'clock rolls around. Where, where were you in this whole scenario in terms of just nurturing yourself? So by us then saying, oh, yeah, 8 p.m., 9 p.m., girl, mm -hmm. where's your self-care? Yeah. Like, when are you going yeah. to be able to stop and just self-reflect read a book mm -hmm. girl put some mm -hmm. put some lotion on intentionally and not just slap it on you know what i'm saying like to just embrace the fact that you got this beautiful glowing skin and you know what i'm saying like when are you going to do that or it's like an expectation that we still have to constantly be on and it was so eye-opening for me because i was like 
When, and then, okay, let's add in a significant other, okay? Naima, girl, you doing a you doing a webinar at eight nine o'clock at night. When are you having boo time? Like, when are you? You know what I'm saying? Like, when are you like setting intentional time for your relationship, your relationship with yourself, and your relationship with your spouse? Yes, children are extremely important. Yes. You know, you have to make sure that they have what they need to thrive and grow into being you just well-rounded human beings in society. Absolutely. But it starts with them seeing it in you. You know what I'm saying? Like it starts with them identifying that, oh, mommy takes care of herself. I got to take care of myself, too. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it starts there. And I was just I was blown away by how many women just gave their evenings away, like literally was like. Yeah. Here you go. <laughs> and I'm just like, we have to start to reshift this narrative because we matter. And that's something that we yeah. weren't told. We were just said, hey, you're a woman. You're, right. You got to take care of the house. You got to do these things. Oh, if you want to run a business, great. But your priority, your first ministry is your home. You know what I'm saying? So so, you know, it, it makes yeah. you feel yeah. as if you can't even have a break. Because you've yeah. chosen to follow your dream, to pursue your goals of being an entrepreneur and a business owner. And then, oh, if I'm if I'm doing this, I still got to take care because home is my first ministry. And what if what if they're equal? What if yeah. your business was literally intended to manifest so you can create an organization for black women to have a safe space in their industry? What if mm-hmm. right so like you have to take care of you you have to take care of yourself you have to nurture yourself and you know i i was listening to ayala van dance the r spot this morning which oh my god i mean it's so amazing it's so good so good but she was talking to someone oh, yes it, she, it was so good she, but she was talking to someone and she said we cannot expect others to give us what we what we first don't give to ourselves like we cannot mm-hmm. expect people to give to us something that we barely make the time to give to ourselves. And on top mm-hmm. of that, if we're looking down our relationships and we're like, oh, well, this person did this, this person betrayed me, this person, everything in life is a mirror. Everything reflects back to us. So we think of betrayal as like the big things. But self-betrayal mm-hmm. is literally saying, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and I'm a meal prep to make my life easier on Sundays and you don't do it. Mm-hmm. That's self betrayal. That's literally mm-hmm. subconsciously telling your brain like, oh, I tell, I say yeah. I'm going to do things and then I don't do them. Like it, it was just such a powerful moment of like revelation that as women, yeah. we society has put these expectations on us on how we should show oh, yeah. up instead of how we mm-hmm. should just be. Right? Yeah. And it's just it's just really really eye opening to me. Like if you okay, so if you if there's someone out um in our audience listening to this, they have all these things juggling on their plate. They're trying to build their business. They're trying to grow, you know, grow and build a nonprofit organization. They have kids, they have a spouse, they have all of these things. And sometimes it feels like they just handling it all solo dolo, right? Even, you know, I'm not saying this is you, but like even 
with a spouse, a lot of the responsibility still falls on the woman to kind of maintain the operations. Like, what would you share with her? Like, how would you encourage her along her journey? I would say, you know, you don't have to do it all. You don't have to do it all. I know um, a lot of times pressure is put on us. It's like that whole emotional labor part where we have to think about all the things that we have to think about the groceries that are running out. We have to think about, you know, making sure the kids have clothes to wear. We have to think about, you know, you know, their school projects or whatever is going on, but you don't have to do it all. Mm. You know, you can, you know, hire somebody. Like I mentioned earlier that I have an au pair, hire help, hire an au pair, hire a nanny, hire someone to meal prep for you. You know, if, if you want to meal prep, but you don't have the time to do that, hire someone to do that for you. There are so many people on Instagram selling services like that. You know, there are people, there are small businesses that can use your help, you know, hire someone to do your laundry, hire someone to help you hire an assistant for like, you know, five hours a week to help you get some of your stuff done. You know, just, you don't have to do it on your own. And I feel like I've been blessed with good business partners as well, you know? So like my business partners in NABPO, we like, you know, feed off of each other. If there's something I can't do, they step up to do it, you know? So I think it's surrounding yourself with a good, you know, a sisterhood, a family, you know, whatever, whatever it is. I, like I said, I don't have a lot of family out here. So it's like those friends, those business partners have become my family. They're like my sisters and I know I can count on them. So really rely on your, your system, you know, the network of people that you have and don't be afraid to ask for help because a lot of times we are just taking it on. And next thing you know, you're having a breakdown, right? like your hair's falling out you're gaining weight or you're losing Mm -hmm. too much weight or whatever whatever it is it's like take that time and make sure that you are utilizing the people around you for help because when you think about it I feel like people don't have a problem coming to me asking me for help right you know so I'm sure people are asking you for help so return the favor (laughs) absolutely absolutely that is the absolute that's truth. That's facts right there. So if someone wanted to connect with you just to say thank you or because they're, you know, wanting to learn about personal or professional organizing or need your services, how can they find you? So they can go to my website. I have a couple websites, but I will give you um, naimafordgoldson.com. NaimaFordGoldson.com. You can get to all my socials from there. You can get to my Restore Order website. Um, that is how you can find me. Shoot me an email or whatever, oh. but that's how you I find love me. it. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you, ladies, for listening in to another amazing episode of the Azar Mindset Podcast. And remember that you are so worthy. You are so worth it. Take time for yourself, take time to love yourself and nurture yourself. And in return, you'll be able to give that to everybody that you love. All right. Talk to you in the next episode. Okay. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this podcast episode of the Azar Mindset Podcast. 
Be sure to subscribe to stay connected and in the know of all upcoming inspiring conversations with Altamese Nicole and inspiring women from all around the world. Until next time, stay soft and fearless, queen.